Hello, welcome to another edition of Talking Fußball, the Bundesliga show. Your source for all things German football. I'm your host, Matt Herman, and this week we're kind of feeling a bit constrained. The league table is just packed as tightly as a Thanksgiving dinner table. Plenty of guests at the head of that table, feeling like they could maybe feast their way all the way to the top. But there's also a certain tension developing at the other end. They don't get in gear soon. All that might be left is like stringy, dried out remains of, of white meat, canned cranberry sauce. Aunt Judy's signature green bean casserole. So panicky times indeed. With me this week is Ronan Murphy, an Irishman who has just indulged an extended American holiday meal metaphor with great patience. Ronan, are, are you at least hungry? Um, I'm I'm a very I'm very thin by nature, so I don't do hunger too much. I have to, I have to keep this lean, trim body in shape by never eating and just really eating chocolate is kind of my diet. I see. So I see. My my dentist doesn't appreciate it. So this is an effortless uh, leanness that you've accomplished, uh, it, or it, it, the effort is all in the in the chocolate eating. Yeah, yeah. Anything that has, has too much sugar in it and isn't good for you in any way is kind of my diet. And my wife has tried to change that for a long time, but uh, she she's still she's still working. It's a gradual process. Well, I, I think as the years the years pass by, uh, you, you might find that 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 might the modifications might become much more necessary. Uh, you know, from my and, and many other folks' experience. Uh, this week we're going to have, you know, uh, all kinds of things to talk about in the Bundesliga, the narrowing of the margin at the top. Don't sweat too much, Gladbach fans. There are plenty of more weeks to play. We've got teams beginning to curl their fingers around the coaching ripcord. We've got a meditation on the meaninglessness of red cards. So don't go away. All right, we've arrived at part one of Talking Foosball, the part where we talk about, you know, what I like to think of as the best of the match day. This week's match day was match day 12. And, you know, we've had a stretch of stability at the top of the table ever since match day seven. Borussia Mönchengladbach have been ruling the roost, but there's kind of a few cracks forming in the foundation of that stability, especially after this weekend. Several results went kind of weird. We're back in a tight, tight squeeze on the league table. We're, we're going to wait again at the top where the leading three sides were all facing relative minnows. In two of those three games, it looked like it. RB Leipzig, Bayern Munich, they tore Cologne and Dusseldorf respectively apart. But the foals were more or less corralled in Berlin by Union. Ronan, where do you want to start? Which of those games sort of uh, jumped out at you the most? I mean, perhaps the most surprising of the three? Yeah, I think we could we could start with that. I, I don't think really anyone saw that coming, especially after the respective performances of Union and Mönchengladbach. I don't think anyone was was, was predicting a, a somewhat comfortable win for Union in the end with, with the second goal coming in stoppage time. But I think they, they set up well. They they kind of got their, the, the tactics right, the, the counter-attacking style. They had absolutely no possession, but it didn't really matter. They got the, the shots away and they nearly had as many shots as, as Gladbach did in the end. I think it was like 11 to 13 or something. And that's despite only having maybe a third of the possession. And it was, it was surprising on all accounts that they, they, that Gladbach were so ineffective, but I think Onion's high press and their their kind of quick turnaround of the ball, I think, made the difference. And it, it kind of took the, the Gladbach midfield out of the game, and they weren't really as effective as they usually were. And they some sometimes had to go long, then playing long balls up to the front, which wasn't really working for them. Yeah, yeah, it seemed like Onion had looked at what Gladbach liked to do. I mean, play through uh, either the middle of the pitch or through some of their speedy fullbacks who who really have a lot of to, lot to do with their build up play at times and just kind of saw them coming they they knew what to do to neutralize them they knew how to sort of uh, get off in transition themselves it was a pretty you know it, it's one of those results that that I certainly didn't see coming but maybe that's just because I am underestimating Union this is Literally, this is the third time that the Irons have, you know, beaten a top six side at the Stadion under Alten Försterei. They got that 3-1 win over Dortmund on match day three, a 2-0 win over Freiburg on uh, match day eight, and now this 2-0 win over Gladbach. And, and truthfully, they were XG winners in all three of those games. They were, you know, the team 
more or less in control of those three games. Is there a reason why <laughs> they only seem to be able to do this at home against pretty good teams? I mean, this this is a, a, a club who, you know, away from home and at times even at home against lesser sides have, have looked pretty limited. I think maybe the home games kind of suit their style, as well as the fact, obviously, it's an important place to go for any any visiting team. It's it's not really one of these kind of modern state of the arts kind of glossy stadiums. It's a it's a yeah a unique experience, and uh, I'd recommend any any fans listening if they get the chance to obviously go and sit and catch a, a game there. But I think the the way to set up is a defensive mindset is to take their chances when they come and that doesn't really work sometimes against a weaker team because maybe they have a similar sort of approach and then Union can't get this, their counter-attacks going because they nearly have as much possession and that doesn't really suit them to have the ball so much because they don't really know how to how to play that possession-based football. It's, it's kind of a more direct approach, a quicker attacking game and I think that's why they're they're so good at home, and perhaps they're they're not as good on the on the road either. Yep, yep. It's interesting that uh, you mentioned some of those weaker sides who who try to leave them the ball have had some relative success against Union. Unfortunately, that plan didn't quite work out for Hertha uh, in in Copenhagen. Just thinking about Union now that that they have gotten these three big wins over over top sides so far, and they have gotten themselves you know something of a of a nice cushion in the table. How confident are you feeling about them uh, staying in the Bundesliga at this point? I mean, if, if they can tack on, I don't know, maybe another win or two before the winter break. They should be sitting pretty, right? Yeah, you would think so. Especially they have five wins so far this season. I think it's sixteen points they have, and that's kind of a after twelve matches. That's a, a very impressive tally, and, and I'm not sure a lot of people thought that they would be doing as well. They obviously have problems scoring. They, they don't get a lot of goals, but they don't concede a lot of goals either. So I think they're going to be in tight matches for the, the rest of the this half of the season anyway. So I think they could pick up another win or two before the winter break, and that should see them safe, especially with Cologne and Paderborn kind of doing so badly. And then, obviously, Hertha are just so bad, they're, they're guaranteed to get relegated. Yeah, maybe. That's maybe we'll joke. have to talk about that later <laughs> in the podcast. No, I, 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 I definitely am, am feeling like, uh, you know, and this has been sort of a theme over the last few weeks, that there is a growing pack of teams who have sort of either either underachieved or achieved, you know, not much more than what anyone has expected of them. But really, especially uh, Hertha and Bremen are, are, are sort of in a real uh, negative spot. And I think we'll probably get a chance to address some of their issues later on. Before we leave this behind, I do want to talk some about Gladbach. This obviously was not an opportune time for them to drop points, seeing as how not only did Bayern and Leipzig capitalize on this loss that they suffered in, in East Berlin, but really both of those teams, maybe to a lesser extent Bayern, although, you know, <laughs> they are Bayern, but really, I mean, Leipzig, their their motors are, are really roaring right now. Um, how do you feel about Gladbach's ability to sort of stay on top of this league, considering even when some of the other you know, teams have have had their ups and downs, whether that be Dortmund or Schalke or Wolfsburg, Freiburg. But the teams in second and third right now, Leipzig and Bayern, um, are really good. And I can't necessarily uh, feel like uh, Gladbach are a good bit to go into the winter break on top, necessarily. No, I wouldn't think so either, especially with the, the form that Bayern are in since maybe moving around from Nico Kovac and... Leipzig can score at will against anybody, so I think they they are the kind of the, the two real rivals for that top spot. But I think perhaps the only things and in, in one of the main things that Gladbach have is the coach, and they've hired so well in Marco Rosa. And I think this result that has happened, the kind of Union result, I don't think that is something that will happen to them again. I, I think he will learn from it, and he'll set up better the next time. And he is the kind of coach to that will have a, a plan B and a plan C for a similar sort of approach against them. And I think that will definitely stand to them. And I think they'll, they'll be in with a shout to be near the top or to be maybe second or third going into the winter break. Yeah, yeah. I don't expect uh, a sort of precipitous drop-off, but um, I, I wouldn't 
be surprised if they got caught by one of those two teams. Next week, Gladbach have Freiburg at home, which should be a pretty tasty, tasty encounter, while Union are traveling to Schalke, which, uh, you know, that should be pretty interesting in its own right, considering that Schalke are, are, are beginning to sort of look like they are, are, are a danger to play good football <laughs> week on week, which was not always clear. But before any of that happens, for Gladbach anyway, an interesting thing, they, they, they had their worst loss of the season earlier this year, uh, back in September, to Wolfsberger Atze, uh, the Austrian side in the uh, Europa League. Bizarre game, 4-0 win for that Austrian side, and, and Gladbach this Thursday have a chance to avenge that loss. Oddly, Wolfsberger have not won another game in their uh, Europa League program since that point, so it definitely was an outlier of a result. As much as one might like Gladbach's chances in the form that they have been in lately to go down to Austria and get that result, are you kind of of the mind that maybe this isn't the year to concentrate on Europa League, or or is this a really valuable experience that they need to get the most out of? Yeah, no, I think it would be a, a valuable experience, and it, it perhaps might be the experience they need perhaps to go far in it, and they, they are relatively comfortable in their group. They're, it's a, a wide-open group, which they've played Roma twice, so they theoretically have the two easier games to play. So I think if they did get far, it might actually help them keep hold of some of the bigger names at the club, the, the kind of players that would be linked with moves away, especially the player and Taram. Those are the players that could make another step up and Zacharia we've we've obviously heard plenty of rumors about him and talk of a Premier League move and he he, he his agent even had to deny a January transfer firm and you know when the kind of the talk like that is is being spread around a move is going to happen sooner or later so I'm not sure they are going to win the Bundesliga so if they were able to get to the semi-final the final maybe even the quarter-final of the, of the Europa League it would prove that they are a team worth staying at and they're a team that can maybe kick on another level next season and compete probably for Bundesliga or compete probably in Europe. Yeah, yeah, I actually agree. Um, I I think that they have, uh, between the coach that they have and the depth that they have in their squad, I think they really have the ability to make a deep run in the Europa League if they can can get out of this group and, and get a good draw in the next round. And I think that if they are the kind of club that you know, the kind of club that makes a move like they did by getting rid of, of Dieter Hecking and bringing in Marco Rosa is the kind of club that I think wants to sort of establish itself as the kind of team who's going to be competing for the Champions League, competing in the Champions League for years to come. And, you know, going deep in the Europa League is really great practice for that. I think that for my money at the moment, they are, you know, pretty certainly one of the three or four best teams in the Bundesliga. And if they keep playing like they have, I, I don't see them, you know, dropping out of the Champions League places. So, you know, bully to them. Keep on going. All right, let us actually move on now to talking about Bayern, to talking about Leipzig. First of all, let's let's address Bayern's 4-0 win in Dusseldorf. They were the team that had an away match against a small side, just like Gladbach did and Bayern sealed the deal. They just punched the little guy in the mouth. They took the three points. They went home satisfied. Hansi Flick's men got goals from uh, Joshua Kimmich, from Corentin Tolisso, Serge Gnabry, and Philippe Coutinho, which means really the only downside from that result was that Robert Lewandowski's scoring streak finally came to a close after, you know, he, he scored in the first 11 games to start the season. So, Rona, two League games for Hansi Flick, two 4-0 wins, one probably a little bit more illustrious than the other, but they're, they're, they both count for the same on the table. That's a real nice start, and and I know that a certain coach that uh, Bayern Munich have coveted for quite some time just happens to have come on the market in the past week, but do you think they might should think twice before making a move for him? I think maybe perhaps the best solution is to keep Hansi Flick on until the winter break that's the plan initially but maybe until the summer and that could be the time to to make a move for Pochettino and maybe have it agreed beforehand a bit like 
Guardiola coming in or something like that, so they know that it's going to happen and it'll give him a chance to to learn a bit of German so he can he can do a bit better than Trapattoni did in the press conference. He can be more than a flasher, yeah. Yeah, and, and and maybe uh, have a better chance of you know, again with all the members of the squad. But obviously, there's a huge Spanish contingent, and they all they have a good English. And Pochettino is is adept enough at languages at this stage. So I think it wouldn't he would be able to pick up definitely the basics and maybe be, be even an intermediate German if he was if he had until the summer to learn it. And with, he's definitely going to be in demand around Europe. Teams in England, obviously, Man United and Arsenal, if they decide to move on from their coaches, they would definitely be teams that would be interested in someone of his calibre. But I think it would be a missed opportunity if they didn't try and make a move for someone like Pochettino. Flick has done brilliantly so far, but how much of that is new manager bounce and the fact he knows the players and everything. But when times get tough, what will happen then? It's 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 in those occasions that you really see the the metal of a manager, the strength of a manager, and that was the problem with Nico Kovacs. Perhaps he wasn't a big enough name or a big enough personality, and maybe to need someone like Pochettino who has that big big personality will be able to to kind of steady the ship if things do go wrong. Yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree. I I think that you know when when a transformative manager like Pochettino is on the market, you know. You make a play for him. You already made reference to the other two teams in, in England who are quite likely to be after him. I think Real Madrid might have some interest in him sooner rather than later. It's just tricky because when a guy has that kind of track record as well as that many suitors, it's really not in your hands. So Bayern Munich, of course, hate to be in that position. They love to have, you know, uh, uh, their pick of of whatever they want. They love to sort of, you know, be in the dominant position. So in some ways, it's probably a pretty uncomfortable situation for them. But I really think you have to just make an approach for him and say, you know, we'll take you now. We'll take you later. We'll, uh, you know, pay you what you want. And just see what happens because it's, you know, even though Hansi Flick is apparently very popular with the players, we've had comments from, you know, both uh, Philip Coutinho and Serge Gnabry saying how much they've enjoyed the, you know, training exercises that he's put them through over the last few weeks. And, and you know, Goretzka also said something uh, today to the effect of, we like the way he deals with us a lot better. Not mentioning Nico Kovac by name, but you know, clearly saying that this is a much, much happier squad than it used to be. But I don't think that counts for as much as what Mauricio Pochettino has has done over the last several years at Tottenham, which has just been, you know, pretty miraculous. Yeah, I think the the thing maybe that could be advantageous for Bayern is the fact that <clears throat> between the the two club, other clubs you mentioned, both me and you mentioned in England, the Manchester United or the, the Arsenal rumor. I think maybe Bayern Munich is the most likely of them where he can win trophies, and perhaps it's that is the, what he's missing from his CV. And it's, it's the the main criticism is criticism that is leveled at him by any kind of person who thinks that he isn't good enough for X, Y, or Z because he doesn't have titles on his, on his CV yet. And I think at Bayern. He definitely could win the Bundesliga, he could win the double, he could challenge for the Champions League. And I'm not sure Manchester United or Arsenal are currently in positions to kind of do anything more than maybe win the league or FA Cup in England. For sure, for sure. No, it, strange as it might be for some folks to hear it. Bayern Munich at the moment is a much better job than either of those. I mean, certainly whoever does take over at one of those two clubs, which have kind of lost their way, if you can get those clubs going, if you can turn the ship around, you're going to really going to make a name for yourself. But uh, at the moment, if you want to win things, Bayern is the place to be compared to either of those clubs. So let's see. Bayern are, are, are headed to Belgrade this week in the Champions League. They've already qualified for the knockout stage, but they could still lose out on first place in that group to Spurs, the team who they you know crushed earlier in the group stage, if, if they don't get a win in Belgrade. And making this a little bit more complicated for them, David Alaba, who has become this you know new center-back stud alongside uh, Javi Martinez uh, uh, under Hansi Flick, he's not going on this trip because his girlfriend is pregnant and expecting any day now. Are you, should we be a little worried about uh, Jerome Boateng going back into the, into the side? I mean, obviously he's got a lot of great years behind him, but he's kind of becoming a little bit of a calamity Jerome. 
Yeah, I think <clears throat> maybe this game is a good one for him to be the one to introduce him back into the team because if anyone knows how to stop Marco Marion, it's 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 him. <laughs> he, he'll have the, the, the he, he'll have all the the expertise of what the, the German Messi is maybe was called once upon a time, but yeah. he somehow ended up in Belgrade. But I think it's a good enough game for Boateng to to start with. I don't think Red Star have the same sort of attacking talent. Maybe that someone like Spurs and the Spurs team under uh, under Mourinho might have. So I think he, Bayern should be looking up to, to to pick up the three points in Belgrade and then just just not have to worry about the Champions League again until the new year and that's kind of the ideal position for them and I don't even aside from that I don't think necessarily first place is as important as perhaps it once was because even if you win you're going to be up against a good team in the knockout stage and if you look at some of the other groups like PSG and Real Madrid are in the same in the same group and in Leverkusen's group you've got Juventus or Atletico teams like that so even if you do win your group you're going to get someone difficult in the knockout stage and you'll have to beat everybody to win the Champions League anyway so it's getting three points in, in against Red Star isn't to be all and end all but obviously it would be great for Hansi Flick if he could keep winning and keep getting 4-0 wins yeah keep keep making that decision about whether to you know call up Pochettino and make him an offer he can't refuse uh, harder and harder before we go let's talk Quickly about Dusseldorf. This is a team who, at, at various times in this season, have have looked like they might get themselves out of the relegation conversation. They are very much back in it. They are level on points with uh, the aforementioned Hertha and Bremen. Uh, they have uh, the same goal difference as Hertha. Uh, two fewer goals scored, so they are, are, are below them in the table. But that's all, all, you know, much of a muchness. This game, they really got bad performances out of. You know what have been largely their two best players over the season, which is Reuven Hennings, who scores a lot, and Zach Steffen, who keeps others from scoring a lot. They didn't do that so well in this game. Is this kind of an, an ominous sign that if if those two guys don't play out of their shirts week on week, that this is going to be a, a team in some trouble? Yeah, I think so. I think Steffen single-handedly won them points this season. He's been the reason that they... They have picked up as many points as they have, and they're kind of outside of the automatic relegation places. I think he's he's such an important player to them, and it's kind of like Dolly Luka Pacquiao coming in for them last season. It's he's the kind of the marquee loan player that won't be able to keep all that because he's just playing so well for them. And if they were able to get someone like that every year, it would be great. But if he runs into any trouble or like you said Hennings has problems or Kovnacki still continues not to score for them I, I think they're, they're definitely going to have have problems staying up and then if they're not in the, the top flight next season they won't be getting any marquee players on loan anymore it'll be a, 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 a kind of dis, a huge disappointment for, for a team like Dutler yep yep they seem to want to try and uh Build on the, the the relative success and and try and become a destination for some of these players who might be seeking playing time. Who who you know, super clubs are trying to develop a little bit more conservatively, but that plan doesn't work in the second division. So uh, high stakes, high stakes indeed. Let's talk quickly about Leipzig's four-one win over Cologne. Definitely another sort of no surprise kind of result, in that at Leipzig are really a very, very informed team. Ever since their their match day nine loss in Freiburg, RB have just regrouped. They found another gear. They've gotten league wins of eight nil, four two, and now four one as well as a 6-1 win in the Cup, a 2-0 win in what could have been a pretty tricky away fixture in Russia in, in the Champions League. I think this is, uh, again, like I was kind of thinking earlier in the season before they had their strange little dip in form, this is a really dangerous team again. And, and I, I feel like the way that they're playing and, and the confidence that I have in Yulia Nagelsmann means that I think that they are, are definitely in the mix for, for winning the title this year. Are you, are you feeling as confident as me? Yeah, I would. I think they would be Bayern Munich's kind of main title rivals. I think even more so than Gladbach, even though they have had such a, a good start to the season. I think Leipzig maybe are a step above that. They have maybe better players. They've kept them together well. They've, they haven't really lost any key players. They've signed 
they've signed smartly and Kunku had another great game at the weekend that I think you'll only see players kind of continue to develop and they had shit coming off the bench they have Ampadu they have they have Tyler Adams to come back from injury they have loads of options all over the pitch it's, this is just a, a kind of a strong squad and I think maybe they have the second strongest squad after Byron and I know we were saying Dortmund had an extremely strong squad at the start of the season but it, it just doesn't seem to have the same sort of depth that maybe Byron or Leipzig have and I think if Leipzig keep playing the way they are and Nagelsmann kind of is slowly introducing his Nagelsmann ball into the the Leipzig the standard Red Bull four two 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 kind of approach I, I think it seems to be the perfect combination and they're only going to get better and I think they could go far in Europe as well as challenge for the Bundesliga. Yeah, I was quickly about Europe. Uh, they do have uh, a Champions League game at midweek this week. Uh, they are at home to Benfica. Benfica have not gotten off to a particularly good start. They are our bottom of that group, Group G, on three points. But that's another group where nobody's really counted out just yet. I mean, Benfica theoretically could win their next two matches and even even win the group, depending on how things uh, play out. So I don't think they can quite breathe easy even if this is you know a home home match against the the bottom side in the group i think maybe the only thing is that benfica are kind of have the opposite problems like they they haven't been able to keep their their team together the team that kind of played last season and i think they're still kind of adjusting to life and perhaps that's their problem in in the champions league is it's a big kind of step up from playing in the Premier league in in portugal to playing champions league football and and I know they're top of the league in, in Portugal, and I think they've near, nearly won every every game, or maybe they've only lost one of the first ten or eleven matches. And they are just hugely successful at home. But playing against teams of the caliber of Leipzig early on, it's a it's a bit of a step up, and especially when you you keep losing your best players every summer. Yeah. Yeah, it's one of those clubs that uh, sometimes puts it all together with a really good group, and then <laughs> the next year is just a shadow of its former self. So anyway, good luck to to Leipzig in in that match, of course. Uh, whatever whatever I or others uh, in the talking foosball family might feel about them within the Bundesliga, I'm certainly willing to wish them well uh, in Europe. Let's switch gears a little bit away from the very top, top, top of the table and talk about a couple of clubs whose fortunes, at least at the moment, seem to be going in opposite directions. The narrative around Dortmund and the narrative around Schalke are very, very different this season. Dortmund entered the season looking like potential title favorites with all, you know, all the sort of smart additions they made to that side, the continuity that they had with their, their coach and with you know, some of the young players who seemed to be going in the right direction. Schalke, everything was up in the air. They were able to attract a somewhat in-demand coach who had uh, experience abroad, but it was not clear what he was going to bring to the Bundesliga if his tactical ideas were going to work here or, or work with the players, his manner is. And anyway, <laughs> those those narratives have really, really, really turned around. Schalke are now above Dortmund in the table ever so slightly, but to those two teams... That sort of slight difference means a lot. Dortmund, after their 3-3 draw against Paderborn, a draw which will live in infamy for uh, a lot of Dortmund fans, considering the fact that they were 3-0 down uh, at one stage before battling back to get that one point. There's a lot of bad, bad juju going around in Dortmund. Everything surrounding Jaden Sancho and how he is feeling like he's being treated by this club, some some sort of grumbling comments made to The Athletic this past week, uh, the question marks that surround uh, Lucien Favre. This has been a conversation that has been sort of going and going and going ever since Dortmund have have failed to live up to their promise this season. What do you think you can add to this? Uh, Do you think that this is a situation where they need to sort of really go in a different direction? That is, you know, get a different coach, maybe sell Sancho in the winter, just try and figure something else out or is it worth holding on and seeing how far you can get with this group 
I think maybe, especially after what Favre did last season. I don't think anyone was kind of predicting them to challenge for the title or put the title race down to the last day. I think that kind of should get them a bit more time. I, I know Dortmund fans are, are fed up at this stage and they seem to be having drawing too many games or letting leads slip. But I suppose at the weekend it was kind of the opposite. They looked dead and buried, but the manager made three substitutions at halftime and ended up totally turning the match around and maybe did that we could look back if they they have decided to keep him for this week at least but we could look back at at that kind of match as maybe the turning point where things started to go right in the season for them and that was when the team kind of rallied around them and or, or the players kind of pulled together and showed what they are capable of doing because they, they definitely should be kind of easily dispatching Paderborn <clears throat> I think a lot will kind of depend on this week against Hertha. I, I think Barcelona might be away, especially if it's too big a match to really decide a manager's future because anything can happen at, at Camp Nou. When you're playing against someone like Messi, there's no guarantees that even the, the best coach team with the best players is going to come away with anything. So I, I think the, the match this weekend will kind of tell us a lot about what will happen next. But I think maybe he should be given more time and maybe he should be given to the winter break to at least to prove that he hasn't lost the dressing room or there isn't these mentality problems that keep getting thrown around every few weeks that these are the right players and uh, and he is the right man for the job and he can be the man to, to kind of turn them into challengers or keep them as challengers. And I'm, I'm not sure if then selling Jaden Sancho in January would be the right idea because he's still such an important player for him in the Bundesliga. He's four goals and seven assists this season. And how do you replace someone like that? I know, I know. Torben Hazard has played well, or they have some. They, they kind of signed smartly in the summer, but you can't replace a player like Sancho. He's just he's just such a, a supreme talent, especially for someone that's his age. Oh. Yeah, completely. I mean, it, he's grumbling right now, but he's he's gone back to producing the goods. Maybe this was a the grumble that he needed, especially in this second half uh, comeback that Dortmund just made uh, at home to Paderborn. I mean, he scored the first goal. He set up another goal. I mean, he's he certainly played his part in getting them back in this game. And I also think that certain things about the way that Paderborn play, which is to say a, a pretty extreme counterattacking style with, you know, pretty extremely quick players. I mean, you know, you were talking about going to Barcelona and how anything can happen, especially when you're playing against Lionel Messi. I mean, that's true. And and that's that's definitely brings its own set of dangers. But, you know, Lionel Messi is great, but he's not nearly as fast as Straley Mamba, who basically skinned Nico Schultz and and others in the course of the game on, on Friday night. And I feel like certain things about the way that Paderborn were ready to play really, really worked in the first half. They sort of took advantage of a Dortmund side that was trying to play a high line with not a lot of pressure, which is often sort of a death wish. But the same thing that, 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 that made them get up 3-0 in the first half made, meant that in the last 20 minutes of that game, they were all dead, and Dortmund basically ran them ragged. I know that it took them in, into injury time to get themselves level, but uh, I, I, I think that Dortmund were well worth that draw in the end, and I think that you're right to sort of highlight the fact that they should earn some credit by getting themselves back in that game and, and showing that, you know, when you have a coach who's ready to, as you said, make all three changes right before and, and right after halftime and, and sort of, you know, go to plan B or C and the players were, were willing to, to carry it out and make it work. Not all of it was, was, uh, you know, voluntary. You did have another niggling injury situation with uh, Paco Alcacer, which let's face it is not great for Dortmund. But um, they gutted that one out. Yeah, I think today, I think going back to your, your member point, I think Messi could do with getting a celebration of that kind of caliber. That's the only thing maybe that, that Messi <laughs> is missing from being, being the greatest of all time. He needs the greatest celebration of all time to go with. But yeah, that, that is exactly what happened. The, the pace was just just a, a different different class against them. And when you're playing Mats Hummels and Julian Weigel in defense, I don't think you, 
I don't think there's going to be a lot of pace, so um, perhaps that they won't be as naive again under Fabra. You would hope not if he gets to continue the job anyway. What about Schalke? They got that uh, 2-1 win over Werder Bremen in Bremen. This is uh, you know, apparently a place where Schalke have not traditionally gotten a lot of good results, but they certainly certainly did enough to win this one. Benito Raman, who has been kind of a slow starter for them this season, seemed pretty instrumental in this win. Sort of in the middle of things for the first goal, scored the second goal. Werder Bremen were active in this game, but just did not create enough uh, uh, sort of clear-cut chances to deserve to do much more than get that one garbage-time goal in this game. Where do you see these two teams? I mean, I sort of made reference earlier that the narrative around Chalka is is very positive right now, and I think that's probably justified, but I think the negative narrative around Bremen is very justified as well. This is a club that seems to just be searching for itself. Yeah, I think Shaq have done perhaps better than would even have been taught at this stage of the season under Wagner. I think he's the perfect man for the job and it seems kind of a, a brilliant appointment from the, the higher-ups of Shaq. They've, they seem to have gotten the right man at the right time and he knows how to make these players tick and you see I mean, Harry kind of stepping up a, a level. You knew he was good already, but he seems to have really broken out this season and he's kind of a key man for them where maybe he, could, he might have been trusted in on a game-to-game basis. He would show flashes of his ability, but he seems to be shown that, that ability game in, game out this season. And I think I think Wagner, he, the way he sets up the, the team and the, the kind of the variance in, in the approaches that he can take, the, the kind of plan B and plan C that he has depending on the opposition. He seems to be just to to have the right idea every match or most matches. And that, that seems to be the difference perhaps between this season and, and last season where they just kind of look rudderless at times and they were just kind of sticking to the same kind of trade-the-back approach every match. And even when it wasn't working, they, they still continued with it. But as long as they can stay fit and they don't have to play Weston McKenney left back, right back, up forward, maybe in goal because of injury, I think they will definitely be in, in the hunt for maybe a Champions League place at the end of the season. Yep. Yeah, I think there might be room for them to sneak into that top four, especially if uh, if Dortmund don't get their uh, act together. Any quick thoughts about Werder Bremen? I mean, lots of a narrative this season early on was about their issues in defense with injuries sort of ongoing narrative has been about Max Cruz's departure and, um, you know, they're sort of missing a certain <laughs> attacking je ne sais quoi uh, without his presence. Is there more to it than that? I'm not sure there is. I think Cruz was just such a, a key figure and I think maybe they didn't realize what they had in him until he was gone because he kind of took all the set pieces. He was involved in kind of everything positive for them and attack. He any goals came, he seemed to be involved in. I know Milo Rashica is having a, another solid season after coming back from injury, and he, he's just a phenomenal talent, and he's probably going to take another step, maybe at a different club, perhaps next season or the season after. It's going to be hard for him to keep hold of him, but when you're still relying on on a fella in his 40s to come off his, off the bench and provide the assist for your, your consolation goal, it's, it's not really a great sign of the kind of depth that you have in the squad. So I think maybe Werder, they want to have a look in January, perhaps bring in a few more a few more players to round out the, the, the squad because they, they just don't seem to, to have the same kind of ability all over the pitch as they did last season. And they, they seem to kind of clutch and straws at times. So I, I think Cruz, the loss of him, is, was such a, a big kind of, Torpedo, the torpedo themselves by by getting rid of my, I think it's a, a huge problem for him. But I think Caulfield is a is the right man to to stick with, and I don't think they, they should be calling for his head any anytime soon. I think they should keep him in there for the long term because he 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 has the smarts to turn things around. I think maybe they just need a a couple of new faces to come in in January, and that could that could turn things around and maybe get them pushing back up the table again. Yep, there seems to be remarkably little, you know. Kofeld out talk going on around the uh, around the club. So you know, hopefully for his sake, 
that will continue. All right, let's uh, let's take a little break and come back and and talk about the rest of Match Day Twelve. So here we go with part two of Talking Foosball. I'm Matt Herman here with Ronan Murphy talking about foosball. And, uh, you know, I think we're going to start things off in this segment about the rest of Match Day 12, kind of about red cards and their importance or lack of importance. We left off part one talking about Werder Bremen and the fact that things have just gone absolutely uh, sideways, downwards, wrongly, whatever for them this season. Certainly a lot under under expectations. And I think the same really goes for Hertha BSC. They are level on points with Bremen at 11 down towards the bottom of the table and uh, the red card that they experienced on Saturday was just one factor in a lot of bad factors in a 4-0 loss to FC Augsburg, which, let's just emphasize this, folks, is not a team that you should lose 4-0 to home or away. Jesus Christ, this was bad from Hertha. Uh, after an international break filled with basically nothing but talk of how crucial it was to get a result the Capital Club went out and just stunk like a toilet. They were down 2-0 inside half an hour. Uh, Rune Jarstein, their goalkeeper, was sent off as part of the uh, sequence, which saw the second goal go in. They brought in a 20-year-old keeper in Dennis Smash, who had never played in the Bundesliga before and looked like it, giving up two more goals, two fairly soft goals. I am so wound up about this game and so wound up about what's happening at Hertha Ronan. <laughs> Is there any way forward for this team under Ante Jovic? Um, <clears throat> I think there's a way forward for the team, but I'm not sure if it the way forward is under Ante Jovic. I think maybe he was the wrong man for the job and they promoted internally, but I don't think, I think it was maybe a step too soon for him or I'm not sure he was able for the, the rigors of week in, week out Bundesliga football. And he, I know he's a, a man that kind of bleeds blue and white. So I think he'll know himself that it's not kind of working and he, they might have a discussion this week. There's a talk that was meant to happen today, Monday. That there was there was meant to be talk about his future and what might happen next. So I think maybe they do have to move on from him and they have to kind of regroup and, and see what they can do to turn things around because at the moment, nothing is going right for them. And when you're, you're go, when you're putting on a, an inexperienced goalkeeper after half an hour in a match, it's just a, a terrible sign for everyone. And Yarstein is obviously going to miss another match because of this. Two matches. One anyway. And uh, yeah, there we go. Yeah, so it's going to be that uh, it's going to be a struggle to to do anything in those matches as well. If you if you're relying on a, a guy that looked extremely shaky, not that Yarstein looked good himself for the the opening Philip Max free kick, which yeah. the, the whole defense looked Did terrible. Did Boyata decided to just yeah get I, out I of the offside trap all by himself? Yeah, yeah. I, I think everything kind of looks wrong at the moment, and I know it's it's sometimes a kind of knee jerk reaction to change the coach, but you need to do something, and that's the most obvious one, especially with the coach you've appointed. I know he's a, a hugely loved around the club, but he seems to be the wrong man at the wrong time for the job. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a real shame. I mean, I, I went into this season feeling pretty confident that Hertha could be a, a mid-table side, if not a, a sort of outside um, chance at a at a European place, and still feel that with this squad that that should be possible. But the one nagging doubt in my mind was whether Antichovic was going to be up to taking over at uh, the sort of top flight professional level, considering he'd never done it before after a lot of years as a youth coach. The signs do not look good that he responds well to that sort of pressure. I mean, he's really, he talked a great game in preseason and talked about how his philosophy of play was going to be a lot different from Pal Dardai's and was going to be something that, that fans were going to take to. And Man, he just threw that all out the window really fast. He has been chopping and changing in a lot of uh, areas of the field at various times. He has not really found a way to get his team to respond to counterpressing 
or you know indeed just any kind of high press when they're being uh, when they're playing out of the back things are not right at all and the the amount of you know dead ball goals the amount of dumb mistakes on the pitch which of course you can't necessarily blame the coach for individual errors but the coach can you know either work on those types of things in training or simply not play guys who make a lot of bad dumb mistakes there are ways to counter that as a coach and he's just not doing them it's 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 sad i really wanted him to succeed because i wanted Hertha to to succeed and i wanted them to su- succeed while playing an attractive uh, attacking style and i i still hope that they're able to attract a coach who can do that for them either in the short term or or the longer term but i don't think that antichovic is that guy and i think he's got to go i think you know by the time this podcast comes out or by the time you hear this podcast, um, if you don't download it at the first moment that it comes out, uh, it might well be Tuesday, and Ante Chovic will probably not be the coach of Hertha any longer, uh, especially if they can get, um, you know, Niko Kovac to return their calls and say yes, which I think is uh, pretty clearly this club's first choice uh, of, of a guy who they'd like to take over not only because of his success in the past but but he's his connections to the club he's basically you know his connections to the club are, are just about as strong as onto Chovic's uh, he certainly played a lot more games than Chovic did because Chovic was always a bit of a squad player but I'm not sure that Kovac is up for it I think he might be thinking <laughs> he's a bigger name than that I, I'm, I'm a little worried that they're going to end up having to really scrounge. I think maybe he might be the perfect appointment because it's not that much of a name change. And they probably only need to change half the letters on the coach's door. <laughs> this is the, sign, the signage might be a bit cheap. But uh, I, I think he is an ideal candidate. But I, I don't think necessarily he would feel that he is too big for the job. I, I'd imagine he's the kind of... He, he always seemed astute enough to know his place and even when things were going wrong in the early days at Byron he kind of he kind of knew to kind of lay it land so I think he'll understand that he will have to take a, a step down for his next job and someone like Herta could be perfect for him because all that would be expected of him this season is to steady the ship and kind of finish in mid-table and next season he he should be given some sort of a war chest to, to spend money on players. He, well, the, the club will spend money on players and give them to him, I suppose. But it will be a kind of a project, and that is what division was in Bayern. That, but they had two high expectations. That he handled that transition well, as well as could be. He won the double in the first, his first season, but the pressure was always going to be too great for any manager managing there. Whereas. In Harta, he'll have a bit more leeway. He'll have a bit more time to to develop his own ideas, to to bring players through. And I, I think it could be the perfect fit for both parties. It's just perhaps Nico Kovac himself. Is he ready for it at the moment, or maybe he wants to take a break after all the the, the pressures of that he had in Munich? So maybe Harta need to make him an offer. He can't refuse a bit like Byron with Pochettino at the moment. Yeah, yeah. In a lot of ways, I feel like um, what Kovac proved he could do at a club like Eintracht. And, you know, I've, I've said this a number of times. I really feel like whatever Eintracht has been through over the last several years, whether that means hiring Kovac, hiring Adi Hütte, um, doing the deals that they've done in the transfer market. I mean, every big city club... <laughs> to use a uh, Las Windhorst uh, term from, from, you know, business speak. Every big city club in the Bundesliga who has not been, li- you know, living up to their expectations over the past few years should be looking to do what, what uh, Eintracht have done. And I think, really, Michel Preitz has been looking over Freddy Bobic's shoulder for the last several years. So I would not be surprised at all if he, he, he really tried to get Kovac on board. And let's face it, you know, if, if Bayern are at the level where they can, you know, make Mauricio Pochettino an offer he can't refuse. Those, those, that coach and that club are on a level. You know, maybe, maybe this is the level that Hertha is at. This is, this is them shooting the moon because they're not going to get a, a, a guy much better than that on the line in the immediate future. Any thoughts about Augsburg? This has been a club that, uh, I don't know, has, has looked 
ultimately pretty capable, like, you know, getting a, getting a result uh, against Bayern and pretty desperate at other times. This is, this is a huge result for them. Yeah, it's a massive result and it was good performance. It wasn't just one of these kind of anomalies where the opposition got a player sent off and they won easily because of it. They were winning easily before the player was sent off. So it was a great performance for them. And I think maybe I especially kind of underestimated what they could do this season. I thought maybe they had, they, they were going to lose Philip Max and they, they didn't really have a lot kind of standing out about them. And I thought maybe they, they could struggle, but they seem to be a team that is capable of when they play to their strengths, I think they're, they're a team that's capable of getting results like this and beating teams in and around them in the table. I'm not, not sure they're going to they're going to challenge for Europe or anything, but I think they should be a, a comfortable mid-table sort of team. And they have a kind of very exciting attack. Niederlechner had a, a wonderful game against Hertha and they, they have the possibility of goals from Richter and Vargas out wide and I, I think there's there's a lot to like about this Augsburg side which is something that I didn't think I was going to say at all this season yep yep I, uh, I, I feel like this is a team that I'm not sure that I trust them to go all that high in in the table but it would not shock me for them to uh, get themselves out of the uh, relegation conversation, whereas uh, <laughs> there's a few others, let's let's say maybe um, Cologne and Dusseldorf, and to a lesser extent maybe Mainz, I think they're going to be hanging around down there for a while. You know, just as this red card pretty much put the kibosh on on Hertha making any further noise in this game once that uh, once that happened after about what 20, 26 minutes or something like that, there were some red cards in other games this weekend that ended up not meaning doom and gloom. Wolfsburg, for example, got a 2-0 win in Frankfurt over Eintracht, uh, despite being down a man for, I don't know, I guess most of the... Uh, when did the Tisserand red card happen? That was that was fairly early. The stoppage in the game. time in the first half, wasn't okay, it? Okay, yeah, yeah, exactly. It was it was I think he got his first yellow card in like the 39th minute and then another one uh, in first half stoppage time. That was a weird sequence. I mean, Tisserand got that first yellow card for just sort of petulantly kicking the ball away when when it was going to be a, a Frankfurt free kick and then literally not hardly 5 minutes later went in on a really reckless aerial challenge to get himself sent off. It seemed, you know, a, a, an incredibly lunk-headed play uh, or sequence from him over those, those minutes. But, you know, Wolves were, were not punished. They, they just went right on their merry way and then got that 2-0 win. I think if you look at the stats for Wolfsburg, line tracks were dominant. They had 70% possession. They had nearly twice as many shots. But I think there's only one thing that yep. kind of indicates why this result happened. Felix Wiedewald started in goal for Eintracht Frankfurt. That's it. Yeah, it didn't go so and well. Rano was ruled out with illness before the game, and obviously Trapp is a long-term injury, but putting him in goal was a disaster. I think whoever the young fella they had on the bench probably would, would have been a better option, perhaps even putting Wander Strikers, Paciencia, and Doss started, so maybe they could have looked at starting Andre Silva and goal, and it would have been a better option. He is a big fella. <laughs> yeah. he, might, he might have been able to, to, to stop some of them shots from going in, but yeah, no, it was just a, a disaster class in goal for Frankfurt. But you would hope that Rano is, is fit for Europe this week, because otherwise they're screwed. Yep, yep. They have a trip to uh, London. They're they're taking on Arsenal this week, uh, whereas uh, Wolfsburg are going to Ukraine to face Alexandria. How do you sort of see the, the the respective Europa League futures of these two teams? Yeah, I think maybe all teams will will go through. I think well, Frankfurt are it's a it's a tricky enough group with standard Liège in their group, but I think because because of the fixtures, I think they, they should maybe, they, they mightn't do a lot this week, but with Emery under under so much pressure, I think maybe they might be good enough to get a point and that might be enough to to kind of help them going into the last game. And I think all the German teams really should be look, look at that going through into the next round of the, the, the Europa League. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that uh, 
they all seem to be getting getting their act together uh, at the right time after, you know, in some cases, Gladbach especially, having had a bit of a stutter start. Another game that had a sort of red card, whatever situation uh, attached to it was uh, the very strange Mites 0 winning 5-1 away to Hoffenheim. Thoughts about this game? It was, it was certainly one that, um, you know, Mites are probably very surprised to have five goals at the end of. Yeah, I think so. And especially especially because they did go a man down just before halftime, a bit like in the, in the other match, the red card was in first half stoppage time. I think Mainz would be very surprised with the result. Hoff and I were very surprised with the result. And I think all the fans watching and the stadium were, were very surprised with the, with the result. And I think the thing for Hoff and I is really you need Cramerich to, to start every game because he was on the bench and he was the only one that looked like doing it when he came on. But if you haven't seen the people listening, if they haven't seen the the Catarabic OG, that is something they should have a look because it's just a, a either a terrible or a fantastic finish from from the defender to put the ball into his own net. It's it's really <laughs> worth checking out. For the story of the game, minds I, I think maybe their pace. It was a bit like we were saying in the in the Dortmund game earlier. I think that was the difference. To, the uh, half and nine, the, the defenders just didn't look up to the challenge. They were maybe maybe sitting too high up the, and and Kevin Ball just seemed to be giving everything away. And he looked asleep some of the time against against Boetius, who really used his pace to to uh, to kill off the game in the late, late, later stages. Uh, one last game to talk about uh, is is uh, Bayer Leverkusen's one one draw against. Freiburg, another game that didn't really match uh, the run of play, let's just say, uh, like a couple others we've mentioned already. Leverkusen played Freiburg pretty much up against the wall, still couldn't manage to get a win. Freiburg got on the board in the fifth minute and went on to allow 27 shots on goal in this game. Still seemed to find a way to hold on. Musa Diaby, he slipped in perhaps one of Leverkusen's most guilt-edged chances in, in the second half. And that slip that prevented him from getting a proper shot off has now caused a little bit of controversy over the state of the pitch in Leverkusen, which, you know, some players described as being like a sheet of ice. Peter Bosch, the coach, complained about it after the game. Rudy Fuller, their uh, sporting director or, or chairman or what have you, confirmed that the club is is actively considering installing a new pitch over the next two weeks. That's the next time they have a, a home game, maybe even switching to some sort of hybrid pitch in order to, to keep this kind of situation from happening uh, in the future. But yeah, that was pretty crazy game yeah it definitely was and i think our friend our good friend abel he pointed out the xg was something like 3.74 for Leverkusen, which is absolutely ridiculous the fact they only got one goal out of that but it's a it's definitely a new one for me that you regularly hear teams complain about pitch after the match but it's never the home team that complains about the pitch it's usually the visitors that have a problem. You know, you never hear the, the the home team thinking, "Well, actually, our own pitch is the reason we lost." I think there could be a couple of groundskeepers maybe sacked this week. It won't be just the Hertha head coach. It could be some of Leverkusen's ground staff might be might be on their way out of the club because of that. And I think this is one of these matches that you just have to write off and just move on. Yeah, yeah, it was it was an unfortunate slip, obviously, but his own goal. To level the score was just a, a beautiful turn and a, a great finish, and I think they really found something in him. And yep. I expect more from him as the season goes on. Yep, yep. He seemed to be uh, the most exciting thing about that uh, attack, which was, you know, as you said, <laughs> pretty exciting, just not that effective. And and one wonders what um, what sort of conversations might have gone on between Peter Bosch and and the groundskeepers in in the weeks leading up to this game, if if you know this was the week he decided. I need to tell the public about this because it's not getting the message through discussing this in private. Well, I suppose it, it, it kind of eases the, the burden and it eases the abuse on the, on the head coach if, he's, if he turns the, the blame onto the pitch. You can't really, you can't really argue with that, especially as it's, it's kind of so exceptional that it's the home team that's blaming the pitch. It's like, well, it's not my fault. Our pitch is terrible. And then the, the fans will decide, well, 
we better get out we better complain to the club about the pitch rather than the coach sure, sure clearly the coach is doing the best he can what, what can he do he's not the bad workman it's the tools that are problem alright well stay tuned we will be giving updates on the state of the Leverkusen pitch on Talking Foosball get your pitch box out just for the pitch all right, that is all for this edition of Talking Foosball, which was produced, as always, by Aiden Rantoul. Really nice to have you back on the pod, Ronan. Thanks very much. It's good to be back. It's a, uh, I'm glad to make a, a return and to see that some of my preseason predictions have gone totally down the toilet since the last time I was on. Oh, yeah. They're, they're, they are definitely circling in the same waters as mine. You can follow Ronan on Twitter at Swear I'm Not Paul. You can read his work at gold.com. If you want to contact me, of course, I'm at Mr. Matt Herman on Twitter. Do subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your pods. And leave us a rating if you feel like it. It is always a big help. Talking Foosball Fantasy with JT and Flo. They will be back in action later in the week to get you ready for match day 13. Miss some next time, all y'all. 